Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello once again and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Network. Always have interesting guests and I tell you, no exception this time. This is a man we were just chatting a moment ago who was my running mate when I was trying to become the libertarian candidate for president uh, last May and he had agreed to run as my running mate and actually I was kind of talking with various important libertarians around the country as to whether or not I should jump into the race and Larry Sharp uh, was from New York I was talking with and he, he was very encouraging he said yes I should do it so I turned around and say all right Sharp put your money where your mouth is I will do it if you will run with me as my running mate and his response was yes 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 so I, I very much appreciate that but this is one of the most articulate interesting interested people that I can that I know uh, he is Larry Sharp with an E on the end, S-H-A-R-P-E, and he has a podcast himself, we'll talk about this, but called The Sharp Way. He ran for governor of New York in uh, 2018. I'm going to try to convince him to, or to commit publicly that he'll run again in 2022, but uh, we'll, we'll see how we go. But but I think, and, and I will acknowledge this, that uh, his his motto when he was running, the sharp way, probably was better than mine. I, I ran for Congress here in California, ran for U.S. Senate, ran for vice president, ran for president, and my motto was, we all go gray eventually, and uh, maybe I could have done better. Maybe the sharp way would have been a better, or the, the, the sharp gray way, but one way or the other. Larry Sharp, welcome back. You are my first three-time guest, and that is not by accident, but uh, again, Welcome to All Rise, and uh, tell us, please, why you became a libertarian, why have you stayed a libertarian, and, and lead us into it. Who is Larry Sharp, the libertarian? Wow, I really have to do well after all of that. You set the bar kind of high. Um, I better be smart, huh? Okay. Uh, uh, the the, pre the pressure's is, on, Sharp. The pressure's on, yes. but it's, I know you're up to it. The funny thing is I actually became a libertarian one, not almost by accident. The, the way I became libertarian was more through business, not through politics. Um, I'm a trainer, a coach, a teacher. That's what I do for a living consultant in business. And I was already teaching uh, what I call post-industrial leadership. And this is the idea of you know, leadership after the industrial age, where we don't require arms and legs as much because most of that's becoming automated or even being outsourced to other countries. So what do we require more? We require more your brain, your intellect, your uh, creativity, your initiative, things like that. How do I get that out of my people? only by getting them to want to be there, getting them to want you know, to volunteer, to be part of it. Not by barking orders, but by getting them to, to be part of my team. That concept is volunteerism. That concept is, it literally is um, libertarianism. It's libertarianism in the, in the business world. And one of the people, the authors who I was reading at the time, trying to kind of hone my own skills, was an author by the name of Robert Ringer. Robert Ringer is an, is an objectivist. He's a big Ann Rander. I'm not an objectivist. But his concepts, some of those concepts, come, come close to libertarian ideals. So I kind of picked up a little bit in that regard. 
And then I heard Gary Johnson speak in 2012, Judge. That's when I first got, you know, your, your, uh, you got my attention, right? I heard him speak. Uh, he picked you. And I was like, you know what? This is my party. And my first libertarian vote was for Gary Johnson and you, Judge, um, in 2012. And I was hooked since then. I realized something very important, and that is there is no way to heal our country without a third party and without a libertarian movement. If Trump wins or Biden wins or whoever wins coming up here, neither of them is going to actually bring our country together. If Trump wins, Democrats don't go, great, now we're all Republicans. And if Biden wins, Republicans don't go, great, now we're all Democrats. That doesn't happen. They actually just dig in deeper, and they will blame the other, and there will be tens of millions of unhappy Americans no matter what this November. And when that happens, where are they going to go? Well, some will resort to sporadic violence, which we all agree is a terrible idea. But most will just start to check out or go deeper into their own, you know, uh, their own bubble. Both are a bad idea. We have to have an answer for them to come to, and that answer is us. The answer is you can be as conservative or as liberal as you want to be. Just don't force your views on others. Instead of barking out orders and mandates, let's create environments to where people choose to get on board and want to help. We have an example of that literally this year. People always say, how in the world can libertarians do anything? How can they make any impact? Well, again, this year, with the death of George Floyd, the right simply yelled, all cops are awesome, and the left yelled, all cops are terrible. And that was their answer. And by the way, both are wrong. Cops are just human beings in a system trying to do a job. That's what they actually are. Change the system, we'll have better cops. That's how that actually works. Libertarians know that, and we talked about that. So what happened? Justin Amash, the only libertarian in Congress, he's the one who didn't just yell, cops are bad or cops are awesome. He didn't do that. He said, let's try to find a way of fixing things. And his idea, which not everyone agrees with, but it is an idea, he said, how about we start the ball rolling with ending qualified immunity for cops? How about that? Let's give that a shot. And he put that out. That's an actual plan to fix something. That's not just yelling propaganda. He then went over to Democrats and said, Democrats, will some of you support it? And some did. Even to Republicans and said, well, some of you support it. Some did. He created the first tripartisan bill ever. That's what libertarians do. And then, of course, what happened? The House wouldn't vote on it. But that's okay. At least that's the example of how this party, this movement, can actually try to heal America. If that bill went on the – actually, I voted and went on the floor, we'd have to find an actual answer now. And maybe qualified immunity is an awesome answer, and maybe it's a terrible answer. Okay, at least it's an answer. Let's talk about it. We could actually fix it, and we could cross the aisle. If you're a Democrat now, you can't cross the aisle. You lose your job. You're a Republican now. You cross the aisle, you lose your job. You're libertarian? Of course you cross the aisle. That's what you do. Larry, libertarians are classic conservatives, and libertarians mm -hmm. are classic liberals. It's just yes. something I say, and, and you said it in a different way, libertarians are the only mainstream political party in our country today. And most yes. people, when you would listen to what you just said, oh, yes, I agree with that. I must be libertarian also. And it's true with regard to so many things. And, and the thing that set us aside as well, and I, I think you agree with this, is we care about people. We want to adopt programs, approaches that work, and victimization doesn't work. And name-calling doesn't work. Unification. Yes. Let's all respect our differences. Let's have some rule of law, and let's have responsibility of all things. I know that's more than a four-letter word, 
but but as a judge, I was in the responsibility business. I still am. We all should be. And what you say with regard to Justin Amash is simply qualified. He's simply right. Uh, but it's it has almost nothing to do today with with what works. It's all tribal. And that's where our country yeah. is. I, I fear for our country. And like you say, uh, we can elect a Republican or a Democrat and neither of them purports to represent all Americans. They, they don't mm-hmm. purport to. They're going to represent their supporters. Uh, and then the other side is evil. It's only libertarians that would come up and have people shaking their heads in agreement saying, yeah, that's the right way. Let's let's all get on board with that. So you are doing that right now in New York. Uh, you ran for governor of New York in 2018, uh, and you are now helping libertarian candidates all around the state. Uh, how is it going? It is obviously challenging, but it is the right answer, right? The, the issue is New York State um, is similar to many states in that they have barriers to get on the ballot. As you know, you've dealt with in your own world, obviously, right? There are many barriers to getting on the ballot. And they purposely do that because they want to make sure there's only two parties on the ballot. And whenever you have a duopoly like that, eventually you have a cartel. And the cartel becomes, okay, you guys run over here, we won't run anybody. And then we'll run over here, and you don't run anybody. So you wind up going from duopoly to cartel, which creates actually one-party rule in local areas. And that's what happens constantly. I'm actually crossing New York State because after I lost the election in 2018, I did gain ballot access. And to gain ballot access to New York State, you had to get at least 50,000 votes. I broke that number. What New York State told me was, great, now you get ballot access, access to the ballot, your party can be on the ballot, we can vote for you for four years. Then they said, oh, you made it? Yeah, we were just kidding. Um, we're going to change the law, and now the law, literally in, in, mid, in midway, is now it's 130,000 votes, or 2%, whichever is higher. So they changed the rules on me. So now I'm crossing the state because I'm not running this year. Last year, I crossed the state anyway because I wanted to support the local people who now got on the ballot. We went from zero libertarians in New York State to 103. Now, 103 isn't amazing, but compared to zero, yeah, pretty amazing, right? So that happened. So now I wanted to make it happen again. So I'm crossing the state again, trying to get people to vote gold for the same issues I just, I just talked about. Uh, there are 62 counties in New York State. Uh, I covered all 62 in 2018, and we called it the full sharp. So then in 2019, I did it again. That was my second full sharp. I'm now in the process of doing it again. And I just came back yesterday from it, last night, actually. I came back last night, and I've done 33 out of 62 stops. Let me guess. I'm halfway through my third one. Uh, I guess correctly. Yeah, I'm I'm really intelligent. I picked that up right away. The the third sharp. Gotcha. Well, and and thank you for that. It's got to be gratifying. And I bet that you're getting more and more name recognition and and facial recognition as well while you're doing this. Are you not, Dr. Sharp? Generally speaking, I get recognized. um, Just walking around in in my own community, I get recognized probably once or twice or three times a month, depending on what it is. Usually it's from, believe it or not, podcasts like this. People who heard me on a podcast is the the number one way I get recognized. Um, But when I go traveling, I almost always get recognized, usually once a day in some type of diner or something. Someone will say, oh, you're Larry Sharp. My, my, uh, my boyfriend loves you or something like that. But the more important thing that I like is the events I'm going to, I'm not getting hundreds and thousands of people. I wish I was. I'm getting dozens, which is still good considering I'm not running for anything. But when I get those people, there's a bunch of them who voted for me, obviously. But there's also a bunch who didn't. And that is so encouraging. People who are saying, you know what, I probably should have. 
that is really encouraging for me. Well, um, you have a podcast. Uh, put in a plug because I've listened to it. I've listened to, by the way, uh, the Larry Sharp story, and you've overcome a lot in your life, Larry. It's an inspiration. Uh, you don't call attention to it particularly, but, but uh, tell people where they can see the Larry Sharp story and tell them about your podcast. Put in a plug. Sure. There are two separate ways to, to see me. One of them is Larry Sharp, comma, Libertarian on YouTube, Facebook. The Larry Sharp brand is out there. That's more of the political brand. And then there's the Sharpway brand. It's the Sharpway YouTube, the Sharpway Facebook, the Sharpway Twitter, Instagram. I'm on all of those things. Um, the Sharpway is a usually daily when I'm not campaigning, 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, video, live video podcast that uh, I have guests on usually twice a week, give or take, and then I just rant three times a week. And it's usually an hour to two hours long. It's live. So people actually type in questions and comments, and I respond to people live online. So it's an interactive podcast that people really enjoy. It is liberty-leaning, but it's really about the way of respect. As you said, Judge, we've got to respect each other, and how do we move forward? It's about having actual answers. The Larry Libertarian page is much more of the political page. It's much more about policies and individuals who are running for office. And it has my story on it. It's called The Story of Larry Sharp. You can look for that on YouTube, and you'll find that it's about a nine-minute video about how I came to the Libertarian Party. Yes, and, and how you've overcome uh, various uh, adversities, too. Uh, not just whining, but actually just digging in and, and, uh, <laughs> and putting things together. But you came up with, uh, on our last broadcast together, and people can listen to it and, and compare it uh, as to how you describe this in a minute. Uh, it was on June 26th of 2020. You're my first third third time guest. So the first one was on January 31 of 2020. But, but you were talking about what you described uh, your approach to immigration as two Ellis Islands idea. Uh, truly an interesting thing, most creative and effective libertarian approach to really any form of specific issue I've heard of. Tell us again, because it's worth, it's worth hearing. And for those people that were not with us the first time, uh, I'm sure that they would like to hear it. But what is the two Ellis Islands idea, Larry Sharp? Sure. Immigration is a wedge issue that Democrats, Republicans actually don't want to fix. So you either yell, build that wall. Oh, you're a great Republican. We love you. You love Trump. Or you say, don't build the wall. Ah, you're an evil person who hates Trump. Done. That's how it works. And we now have decided, you know, what side you're on. The reality of it is you can have both. You can have a, a secure border and vibrant immigration. You can have both. We need, as a country, to have vibrant immigration, and we can have a border. We can do both. And the way I've decided to make this work is the Ellis Island approach, as you mentioned. Two Ellis Islands on the southern border. You, you build two of them, maybe one in Texas, maybe one in California, or wherever you think is appropriate. You build these places out, and if you want to come to our country, you literally just go to the Ellis Islands. You can walk there. You can take your train there. Whatever you want, go to the Ellis Islands, cross the border, go right to the Ellis Islands. Awesome. When you get there, they check you out. Are you a terrorist? Do you have uh, drugs? Uh, um, are you sick? The way it used to be in Ellis Island, they would quarantine you for, I think it was 14 days then. I don't know what the time period is, but you know, whatever the experts decide is the right amount of time. You quarantine them, whatever the issue is. And you do that, and then once that happens, and you're okay to work, you then get an orange card. The orange card says you have a basically a two-year work visa. That's what you got. For two years, you may work in the United States. And if states are really unhappy, they can opt out. If a state goes, I don't want any more immigrants, I think that's a terrible idea. But if a state wants to do that, they can opt out. And you don't go to that state or states who don't want any, who don't want any immigrants. Fine, you can do that if you want to. 
fine. But then you go to whatever state's appropriate, and that's where you have to be. We know where you are. Now, DACA had a lot of problems, but there were two things about DACA that was good and we want to keep. And those are, the first one is, you had to check in every two years. And I want to copy that. You've got to check in every two years. You don't check in every two years, we come get you, you're gone. Not just that. No form of public assistance whatsoever. If we come and check in you in two years, you have an EBT card or you've got some WIC card, gone. You're out. You No public assistance at all. Those two things, basically what's happening is you're paying taxes, but you're not receiving public assistance. You're basically paying to work here. Awesome. I don't have a problem with that at all. But, Larry, you know, that's just people who are coming to the southern border. No, anyone can do it. We have, give or take, 11 to 12 million undocumented workers in the United States. They can just decide, hey, I've been working in Texas, I've been working in Nebraska for a while, I'm going to go to the Ellis Islands. You can go there and become legal. Now you might say, well, why would someone do that? So they can't get blackmailed by evil Pablo. That's the reason why. So they can actually you know, call the cops if they're getting harassed or they're getting blackmailed. Yeah, that's what they would do it. So they don't have to hide in the shadows. They would actually come. Now, would most people do it? No, they'd be afraid. But let's say only 500,000 of the 12 million do it. That's it. That's less than 10%. They come and they do it, and they, then they get legal. They go back to their enclaves now, and they're legal. Now if the boss wants to beat them up physically, which actually happens, they can call the cops. All of a sudden, the boss can't beat them up anymore. All of a sudden, evil Pablo, who's the, uh, the drug dealer, uh, he, he can't blackmail them anymore because they'll call the cops. All of a sudden, law enforcement can do their job. Oh, my God. Law enforcement cannot physically get those 12 million people. We don't have the bodies, the time, the energy, the money. Impossible. But now there are bad people among those 12 million. Of course there are. How do we get them? Right now we can't because they're all in enclaves. No one will tell the cops anything. The cops struggle. But when now Jane or, or, or Bob are now legal and the cops come by and say, where's evil Pablo? They say, right there. Go get him. Now, actually, the cops do their job. Law enforcement is actually assisted in getting the bad guys out. But I'm still not done. As people start seeing it, others will come too. They'll go, wait a minute, you did, they didn't deport you? No, I didn't have a problem. I just, I, I did it. Others will start going. And over time, we will find very few undocumented. undocumented. So now what happens? Our, our law enforcement can focus on the bad people and get rid of them. But Larry, if we do that, evil people will still cross the border. Illegally, they won't go to Ellis Island. Yes, which means now the people right now who are trying to function and deal with, with, with the mass amounts of immigrants will only focus on the bad guys. And if someone does starve in the deserts of uh, California or Arizona, it won't be a mom and her two kids. It'll be some bad guy trying to get across to do something bad. I don't want anyone to starve in a desert. But if I got to pick, I'll pick the bad guy. Let him starve instead of the, 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 the mom and two kids trying to get across. But, Larry, how do we pay for this thing? Here's the best part. Two separate private companies run the Ellis Island which means all of our border control agents are no longer worrying about this. They're only functioning on going to the border and finding the bad guys. But how do private companies get paid? We have a model already, and that is literally uh, staffing companies. Staffing companies get paid for staffing people. That's how they make money. So now two separate companies, and it must be two separate companies so they can compete. If one is bad or broken or doesn't put people well or treats them poorly, people will go to the other one. And as they start placing people in all these places, they get paid. Well, why will people pay for that? If you know what's happening right now, literally on the black market, the hospitality industry, um, restaurants, hotels, all those people, um, also people in, in the nanny industry, they're paying thousands of dollars, farming industries, they're paying thousands of dollars in the black market to get workers. Well, 
get out of the black market. Just pay the Ellis Islands, and we'll give you workers, lots of them, that we can control, that we can watch, who will pay taxes, who won't go on public assistance, who we, can, who we then, if we want to, can allow them to have some form or some way to eventually get a green card and or citizenship. And if we do that, it's done through this private company. So it doesn't take anyone who's gone through the normal legal way of doing it. It doesn't take them out of the line. It's a separate way. In fact, some people who are now going through the government issue will change their minds and say, why would I go through the government way? It's slower. I'll go through the Ellis Island process instead. Guess what, ha- what happens? Saving taxes, saving money, and having vibrant, safe immigration. And over time, you will find very few very few illegal immigrants, very few undocumented workers, and the bad guys get captured. We do that, and we can actually solve this problem. And the people that are here can lead normal lives. They'll get driver's licenses. That means they'll have automobile insurance and the rest. Yes. And I think a path to citizenship is appropriate, but it won't be so politicized. So you've convinced me again. This is the third time I've heard you do this. Uh, you obviously have enthusiasm on it and, and certainly should. You've convinced me. And by the way, Larry, uh, when I talk with mostly young lawyers, I ask them, what's the most important part of public speaking? And the answer is, show your audience you're convinced about what you're saying. Uh, you sure showed <laughs> us right, right this minute that uh, you've, you've convinced, obviously, yourself. And it's just a great idea. Come, was this all Larry Sharp? Did, did you uh, come up with all of this yourself? Not, the, not all the details, right? As a general rule, when I was running for office, you realize that when you run as a third party, you can't just use rhetoric anymore, right? When it's only two parties, all you have to do is say, I'm not the other. Right? If you're Republican, you go, I'm a Democrat. If you're Democrat, you go, I'm a Republican. I will save you from the other is all you have to say, and you get elected. If you're third party, you actually have to have answers that people will remember. They have to believe you can actually fix something. It's totally unfair and still true. And I realized that a long time ago. So literally when I was running every single week, I would have an hour meeting with my policy team. I had six or eight or ten people on my team who would rotate through depending upon what topic we were talking about. I would generally hear what the people were talking about and then begin to talk about it. And we come up with policies. And most of them are on LarrySharp.com if anyone cares. They're still there to take. And when I was on a Joe Rogan program, Joe Rogan loved my ideas. And he was like, Larry, you better lock these ideas down. And I said, why? He said, people take them. I said, take them. Then I don't have to run anymore. I can go back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take all my, my ideas. Make Please a better do. America. I'll go back to work. Please do. So, Larry, uh, <laughs> is this where people can go to get involved in and support your various projects? The LarrySharp.com, is that the best avenue? That's the best place, LarrySharp.com. If you want to help out, there's a volunteer button. There's also a donate button. The, the, the committee is still open, and the committee is still public. You can see where I spend the money. And I spend the money on traveling around the country trying to promote libertarian ideals. I go to conventions every year. I speak every year. I cross my state every year, and everything is paid through that committee. Again, it is public. Um, you can look and see where I spend the money. Well, you have some of my money, and I'm happy to do it. It's just uh, talk about bang for the buck. Uh, we're really getting we're getting some good things here. So, so Larry, uh, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, but but what do you see? What What is the Libertarian Party, and how are we how are we going to be five or ten years from now in the United States of America, from your standpoint? In 2016, I decided I had a ten-year plan, and I told people it was a seven and ten-year plan. I'm only I'm only four years in, so I got six years left. So this is a long-term plan. The goal is for us to simply get a foothold at the national level 
first, though, getting a foothold at the state level. People say, how can libertarians do anything? You're never going to get the majority. Not in a couple of years, we're not, but we don't need it. If there are simply five or six libertarian state senators or, or 10 or 20 you know, libertarian state assembly people, we will be the swing vote. We will cross the aisle. We will begin to solve problems. We will become the peacemakers. In the next couple of years, that's what we must do, and that's what we will do. You see it already. More and more people are, are coming our way. We're, we're the only growing major party there is in the country. And when we just get that swing vote amount of people at a state legislature, that's when you'll see impact. And indeed so. When we come back from our break, Larry, uh, we're gonna. you did me the honor, like I said earlier, of agreeing to be my running mate. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, how we would have run for president and vice president and uh, what the our, our country is so polarized today uh, how would we as president and vice president have been able to start healing these this divisiveness we're going to come back and talk about that uh, in the meantime uh, swing vote is really a pretty good idea uh, i'm going to not let you off the hook though before we go to break uh, would you commit to us publicly to run as a libertarian for governor of new york in the year 2022 dr larry sharp I, I have to see how much support I have next summer. If I, I will announce either way next summer. If I have the support that I want, then yes. If I don't, then I wouldn't, but I would support someone else who would. Unless someone else pops up and wants to do it, I would consider someone who would be more popular than me. I want impact more than I want that title. Well, tell me how I best can help support you, because that is my goal, is to have you do that and to support you in any way that I can. I think you are yeah. an articulate, caring fellow, and uh, I'd be doing the country a service by supporting Larry Sharp. Well, the, the reality of it is I hope people just grow my social media. Social media is an issue. Popularity really matters. I wish it wasn't true, but popularity is crazy important. The more popular you are, the more people think you're valid, the more people want you. So help me become more popular. Click on my uh, <laughs> Facebook page if you're listening. Click on my Twitter. Follow me on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we've, we've taken that to heart, and uh, we'll, we'll take this break. Uh, here are a little couple of messages about the Libertarian Party as well, and then we'll come back and talk to Larry Sharp on how Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp would have changed the world had we been president and vice president in the upcoming four years. But in the meantime, stay tuned, please. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. After hearing those messages, we are here proud to say with our guest, Larry Sharp from New York, a friend, an articulate citizen, a leader, and uh, he's sharing these thoughts with us. Two Ellis Islands, indeed. Competition, hmm, what a what an amazing concept. And it, I think you would all agree with me that it works. Uh, go to LarrySharp.com, hear more about this, uh, listen to his podcast. You can s- submit questions. Uh, ours are taped, his is live, so we don't take questions most of the time. But my wife has asked me to insert a little, at least intentional silliness, as a base, maybe to unintentional, at this point in my program and so, or in my podcast. So uh, I'm quoting a woman who said that I've decided to stop calling the bathroom in my house the John and said and started to call it the gym. And it sounds so much better when I say, I went to the gym this morning. That's actually rate, good. As, <laughs> as opposed to the last time. But there is an obligatory chuckle, and, and Larry, you, you passed muster on that, so so you're, you'll be invited back again sometime, too. But, but okay, well, well, welcome back, Larry, uh, an articulate, sensible, sensing, practical fellow. Uh, you did me that honor. We talked about it before the break. Uh, our country, I think, is in trouble. Our country is divided. It's always been divided, but but it's divisive, divided, polarized, whatever call it you wish you'd make. But uh, had we been elected, or how, how would we have run for president and vice president had we gotten the libertarian nomination? And then this is called a compound question. It's objectionable in court, but uh, I'll be the judge of that today. But uh, how, and how would we have governed as libertarian president and vice president, if and when we had actually won the election going forward for the next four years, Larry, in your view? Well, uh, you know, when you and I talk, one of the reasons, I mean, many people, if if you're part of the Libertarian Party listening now, and many people have told me, Larry, why didn't you run with Joe Jorgensen? Why didn't you become the, the you know, the, the, the VP candidate, and I and my answer is because Joe didn't believe it the same way I believed, and they all 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 say, "Oh, you mean you're not libertarian enough?" No, not that. In the way to actually make impact, she didn't think the way. In fact, no one did. Right? There were only actually two people who made any attempt to really care about what I was thinking and to even talk about what I had learned. You know, I ran the largest campaign outside of 2016, Gary Johnson, since 2016. And I had the most impact, the largest campaign, as a, as a big L libertarian, and the only libertarian campaign. And only two people we actually cared about that. One, believe it or not, was Vermin Supreme. I'm serious. I know it sounds crazy, but yes. And you, Judge. You two were the only people who actually said, you know what, Larry Shaw, what'd you do? How, how can we fix this? What's the right answer? You two were the only people. I, I was not prepared to run with Vermin Supreme. I was happy to run with you. And that's why I picked you in that Vermin Supreme. See? So, so those are the uh-huh. two people who actually cared about what I was, what I was thinking. So um, I think most of the party didn't get what I did. They just said, oh, Larry didn't win. Therefore, he'll walk away and not come back. That has been our, you know, that's been our culture for decades. People run, lose, walk away. I ran, lost. I'm still here trying to show people. And you and I talked about this. What I learned in New York State was 
go to places that are more open to your message first. Go to places where not much is going on. I would go to small towns in upstate New York, not New York City. I live in New York City. But something's always going on in New York City. It's very hard to get any, any traction in New York City. So I would go to smaller towns, smaller areas where literally they have two choices. Let's cover the cow who escaped, or let's cover Larry Sharp coming to town. The cow is going to escape next week too, so let's cover Larry Sharp this week. So I would show up, and I would, and I would, you know, uh, people would actually cover me. There'd be a, maybe sometimes a, a, a video there, most of the time a, a reporter from a local newspaper. And what other people didn't realize, and I learned this again, stuff that I learned about that no one wanted to hear. In most local places, in most rural areas, the local press has been decimated, and since it's been decimated. One writer will often write for six or seven local newspapers. So he may have a different name, or he may have the same name. So if he writes an article, it will often show up in three or four or five or even six local newspapers. Now, people would tease me and go, Larry, local newspaper, who reads that? Two, three hundred people? Yes, that's true. But if you read your local newspaper, you vote. That is the exact perfect audience that I want. Small that it is, it's the perfect audience. The average person doesn't read local newspaper. That's true. But if you do, I guarantee I'll see you at the polls. That person cares and will be voting. So it's the right group of people to get to. But not just that. As these local papers write the story, and it pops up in multiple different places, what winds up happening is the average person who doesn't live in your state, and in my case, many of my donors, about half, came from outside of my state. So I could post it on social media. You know, the local John town review. I don't know if that's actually a newspaper, but that will be out. The average person outside of New York doesn't know how big or how small the Johnstown review is. They just know Larry's getting press. And when they see Larry getting press, they start noticing. They want to get behind you. They start seeing maybe he's a winner. So as you begin to post these in social media, they can begin to get bigger and bigger and bigger, help you raise money, all those things. Now, this takes time, obviously, and I wish I had figured this out earlier in my campaign. I learned this through trial and error, obviously, right? But now I know it. So as that began to happen, something else happens. As some of the smaller newspapers all around pick up the story, eventually the larger newspaper of the local city, whatever city that is, will begin to pick it up too because they'll have a slow news day, they'll see what's happening, and they'll put me in. And that happened to me also. And then once the local newspaper put, picks me up, one or two of those, then the local TV station picks me up. And that's all of a sudden when PBS picks me up. And that's when all of a sudden statewide starts to pick me up. And that's how it actually worked over time. If you and I had run, you agreed with me. I'm preaching to the choir for you, Judge. This is for everybody else listening. You were already on board with this. We were going to go to the places, the states, the, the four or five or six states, we go to the five-state strategy, where not a lot's going on as a general rule electorally. People aren't going there, and not big things are happening, and they're more popular when it comes to libertarian values. States like South Dakota, New Mexico, Wyoming, Idaho, places like that where, you know, if the VP and, 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 and President of Canada show up, the local media covers them. Now, we got, I think it was 8 or 9% in New Mexico in 2016. I forgot. It was something like that. Imagine if we showed up in New Mexico for a while, and we start now having New Mexico polling. And New Mexico polls us at 10%, 12%. That becomes news. 
and now Wyoming polls us at 10%, and now South Dakota polls us at 11%. That becomes news. As that becomes news, we raise more money, people know us, more people show, and it begins to grow. And after a couple of months of focusing only on those four or five states and making us very popular in those four or five states, then we start to go national. And that's how the national percentage happens. But more important than that, the actual way, the only path for us to really actually win the actual election was to get enough states to where neither the left or the right, Trump or Biden, got 270 electoral votes. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a that chance was a, 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 a slim chance, but it was a chance, and it was a real opportunity. And if we could have done it right and push it to where a bunch of states, maybe Maine or New Mexico or uh, Wyoming or you know, maybe Alaska. Just to the Marshall State, Michigan, Alaska, anything, anything that would have actually all of a sudden happened to where, boom, they all of a sudden turned gold, and we win a couple of gold states, two things happen. One, even if we don't stop the 270. There are gold states on the electoral map, even just one gold state. The brand value that that would have for every libertarian running for the next four years would be amazing. Every single time they show the electoral map, and they show it thousands of times, there's a, there will be a gold state on that map. People say, gold, what's that? Oh, that's libertarians. Oh, they're real. That supports every single candidate running for the next four years. Wait, they're real. But if we actually did it, Judge, if we had actually made it to where they couldn't get 270 each, and it goes to the Congress, of course they're going to pick you. You're literally a retired judge. You are the guy who could be the peacemaker. You are the perfect selection. They would have said, boop, Judge Jim Gray. President of the United States. Sadly, they wouldn't have picked me because where the Constitution's written, they would have picked you, and then they got to pick from the two. So it would have been either a a, a, a Gray Harris or or a Gray Pence administration. But that's fine. Oh, they might have dropped out. Maybe they didn't even want that. Who knows? They might have dropped out. And let me have it anyway. Who knows? But either way, you would have been the president, and I could have been part of your cabinet any way you wanted me to be. But we actually could have made an attempt. We actually had a chance at victory. And again, anyone listening, I'm not fooling myself. That wasn't a high chance, but it was an actual path to victory. It was an actual path to impact. It was an actual path that even if we don't get the four or five states, we just just get one. It actually supports the party for the next four years. And because of just you winning, Judge, that one state, if you would have just picked up South Dakota as an example, or whatever state it would have been, you would have helped the entire Libertarian Party move forward, and we would have absolutely won several state-level offices in 2021 and 2022, guaranteed. Well, and we go to the voters in Alaska, South Dakota, wherever, look them in the eye at the supermarkets or at their Kiwanis meetings or, or their golf courses, and look them in the eye and say, your vote will make history. You know, yes. we are the unification. We are the people that stand for responsibility. And as I said, uh, you heard me do this a couple of times in those various debates. I, I told people I just had a grandson, Hudson, on April yep. the 22nd. April the 27th, I held him in my hands for the first time, looked down at this miracle baby and was just agog. And then the second thought I had was, Hudson, based on the deficit, you're $72,000 in debt. Pay up. And, uh, you know, yep. Hudson was very popular, very well known in libertarian circles, but we're the only ones that stand for Hudson. We're the only ones that yes. stand for our young people, because now these two political parties, either one or both, 
are saddling our youth with this enormous debt that eventually is going to have to be paid. So you look at them in the eye and say, your vote will make history. And then you go in and explain exactly what that is. That was our strategy. I believe it would have worked. Well, you, you know, you were very forward about this. You were like, Larry, I'm, gonna, I'm basically going to send you to some of these states to make you stay there. And I was like, yes, I'm in. And literally, I would just sit in a, a state or two and just go to every single diner, every single, you know, as you said, Rotary Club, every single, every single VFW, every single American Legion, and go up and down the state, right? And yes. Until, you know, they go, all right, Larry, fine. <laughs> we'll vote for you. <laughs> we'll vote for the judge. Just leave our state. Fine, you win. That's what I would have yes. done. Okay, so now we've won the election. And I, I, I convinced myself when I first started talking about this, maybe with you, I said, you know, we have a good solid 3% chance of this working. And then the more I thought about it and the more people responded, it, it actually ended up about 6% by the time I was done. So we, we, we doubled, our, doubled our possibilities. But okay, so now we've won the election, Vice President Sharp. Uh, you are obviously with us in our cabinet uh, or one way or the other. I, try to keep away from our cabinet if, if, if and when we'd win. How are we going to act differently? Okay, the election is now over. We have been uh, sworn into office uh, in January of 2021. Now what do we do? What, 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 well, the reality of it is, judges, and, and we discussed this even before we got the, the nod, right? We would have been building a team out prior to getting elected, obviously, right? If we had won, yes. say, November 4th, they know we, we've won, or, you know, or, or no one's won, and now they're going to all of a sudden send it to the, uh, to the Congress, we would know, okay, we're going to win this thing, right? We got it. So we would, of course, put together our team. And yes. we had several things that we talked about. Debt, we talked about building industrial complex, we talked about many things. And the first thing we would have had is, here's the plan to begin the audits. The biggest thing that I loved about what you talked about, and I think many people loved it, is your plan consisted of audit, audit, audit. Figure out what's the actual timeline to start getting rid of things, right? A, a, a realistic plan to slowly draw down. We talked about the military-industrial complex, right? How do, we, how do we take care and get ourselves out of all these countries that we shouldn't be in? And the first thing we do is start looking at all of our agreements. And the, the funny part about it is libertarians love doing stuff like that. That's the one thing I always found people who are to dig into the details and nitty-gritty. So we figure out every single, literally every single treaty, and you talk about this, Judge, every single treaty that we have, which ones can we get out, which ones do have a, an opt-out clause, which ones expire, and which ones do we have to renegotiate? And we go down the line. And that might be a four- or five-year process of getting out of certain treaties. But we don't want to get out of every treaty. Some of the treaties are going to help us in trade. We don't want to get rid of that, right? We want to help those. We want to make sure we're, we're guarding our sea lanes and things of that sort. But do we really need to have 40,000 troops in Korea? You know, probably not. How do we get out of that, right? How do we remove them without, and you've said this a thousand times, without breaking the contract? How do we do it honorably? And there have to be ways of doing that. And that would have been a lot of negotiating, but we would begin that already. How do we begin to draw down our troops? How do we do all those things the right way? And the audit's the piece. So about auditing, auditing the Fed, right? Seeing how the Fed's working, what's actually happening, begin to audit that. I think that would have been our piece. And the, literally the day one, we would, have, we would have been able to present the American people, here's the audit plan, here's what we think will happen, here's phase one, two, three, and four. 
And the best part about it is we could have ignored the old 100-day plan because to actually fix something, it's far more than 100 days. And if we actually show them that this will work and we'll be able to draw down our military-industrial complex into a good trading, defending trade routes military and defense of our homeland military, and that could happen in, for example, obviously, Judge, I don't know the answer, but an example, five years, how amazing would that be? No one's ever done that. They just go, they, they either do platitudes, we're going to pull the troops home, which means nothing, or they do one thing, like say, okay, I close this base. See, I'm amazing. Neither of those two things work. They're just symbolic. We actually had plans to make things better for us without abolishing everything. That wasn't the plan. But we also about the more important piece. We talked about revamping welfare with our uh, – I was talking about this, believe it or not, I was talking about this during, the, during my campaigning up in New York recently. The idea of going from a crutch to a ladder. I had someone reach out to me and talk to me about, you know, what about you know, UBI or basic income or earned income? And I said, without question, the best idea from this is from Judge Jim Gray. It's his idea of from a, from a crutch to a ladder and changing how we do all forms of public assistance by allowing people to be able to just get a flat amount of money. And as they begin to make more, they have an incentive to earn more money. It takes away. And I had a guy. He was a college professor, very left. And he said, oh, in fact, you're right. If someone has a, a guaranteed amount of money, we don't need, and he said this, we don't need a minimum wage. I said, yeah, that's exactly right. This is me sitting in the diner talking to a college professor. He said, yeah. We don't, I said, yeah, we don't need one. It's not required. In fact, people could change jobs easier. People could shift and adjust. We could respond to COVID faster. We could respond to everything faster. People would be helped without having to get a $12 check. Meanwhile, all our cronies get money in, in, you know, uh, while we're doing that, right? We, we, we go in debt $3 trillion, and half a trillion goes to the people. Two and a half trillion goes to corporations. We could do it directly. We wouldn't have to worry about it at all. It would, the, the idea of a negative income tax or, or a crutch to a ladder plan allows people, as you and I discussed, to move and shift with whatever problems are happening within the economy, locally or nationally. It doesn't matter. Either way, you have a chance of rebooting. Our country is a country of second chances, and this plan allows for anyone to get a second chance. And as I brought this up, we would have had this plan in play also. We would have said, this is how we're going to roll it out. Here is how it begins. To be forward, Judge, you and I both know that the, the war on poverty complex is a massive jobs program for the government. Yes. So we'd have to roll that out slowly. We can't just take, you know, probably, you know, half a million workers and just throw them into the streets. That wouldn't work. Well, so we'd have so to be able to, as we always do, as we remove government, we have to add community and or commerce. So that would have been our second two major plans, dealing with the so, economy and dealing with the military-industrial complex. So, so, Larry, what we would do, as opposed to what's happening now, we would have that audit, but it would be done publicly. I mean, on C-SPAN, yes. we would look at, okay, let's look at the departments of government. By the way, what's the largest so-called company in the world, Larry? And the answer, of course, is it's the federal government. It's our federal yes. government. So, so let's adopt Milton Friedman's approach, which is we should judge our programs by their success, not their good intentions. And, and that's yes. what say publicly. So is the 
Department of Education really necessary? Well, let's see what they've done. Now, we can always bluntly mm-hmm. say we're going to abolish that. You know, no, you're not. The, the IRS. No, you're not. But if we shine a light on it, let everybody be educated, everybody see, we'll all get that consensus together. And it was Ron Paul, I believe, whose statistic I used, that we at this moment have, as United States government, we have 400 military reservations in other countries around the world. Now, it shouldn't take too long in an audit. If you listen to the military, you look around you, uh, the life is different today than it was at the end of the Second World War. Maybe we should adjust. And uh, so we could take an audit probably in about 45 days and figure out that at least 300 of those military reservations are no longer necessary for our national security, national defense. Absolutely. And then we can start looking at those treaties and the rest. But you do it publicly, just like you said. So we're going to bring people together. You talked about was the transparency piece that you were insistent upon. You were insistent yes. upon doing it, and you said C-SPAN. I'd actually never thought of C-SPAN until you said that. I just thought, wow, that's a brilliant idea, that we just put it on C-SPAN. And the geeks who care about these types of things will watch C-SPAN, and they'll love it. They'll eat it up, and they'll, they'll probably even give us better ideas than we thought. It's amazing. Sure. I, I love the transparency concept. Of course. And, and even the, to change it a little bit, I think arguments before the United States Supreme Court, for heaven's sake. Uh, it's a public, it's public, pr- open, it should be open, it should be broadcast. Same thing with regard mm. to what goes on in Congress. It should be broadcast. Now, I know members of Congress don't like that idea because maybe they're playing solitaire on their computers during this or, or they're uh, <laughs> j- joking around or they have their feet up on the desk. But no, it should be public. And, and that's the answer to so much. That is how we would have gone into Alaska, Montana, South Dakota, whatever, we would have been talking about these things. They're military people in Montana and Alaska. We're the only ones, Larry, that represent the people in the military. First thing yes. I would do as president, or among others, <laughs> is to give back the powers from those various military authorization acts. No, Congress, we yes. will not have our troops in battle on, for more than 60 days unless you issue a declaration of war. Be the first president in our history to give power back to Congress. And that, these are things that would, would bring people together. So I think that, Larry, yeah, you I had and everyone listening to us should have voted about at least 500,000 times instead of just once, and uh, we'd be in Washington <laughs> today. No, I actually forgotten that part that you had brought up the idea that you basically tell Congress, unless you can provide me with declarations of war, within 60 days I'm bringing all the troops home. Right? You, gotta, you have to be able to commit. I remember you, I, I'd forgotten you just said this. You, you basically said that. If, if, you, if we, you can provide me with a declaration of war, then they can stay. If you can't do that, they're coming back. And you basically force Congress to now validate every, every conflict we're in. Yes. And we never would have gone, we never would have issued a declaration of war to go into Iraq, from my standpoint, or Vietnam, by the way, uh, which are both mistakes, because then Congress would have had to take the responsibility and actually look at and debate and focus upon what is the threat to our to our security? What is the threat to our national interests? What are our goals? I mean, that sort of thing. We've gone through this before on All Rise, but these are things that would be refreshing because no president, as Republican or Democrat, has done that in decades. And and I think it would have been refreshing. I think it would have worked. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, look, I know you said that I did you the honor. I feel exactly the opposite. I feel that like you did me the honor, and I'm very happy that my, li- my name will be linked to you in perpetuity. Good. I'm happy. I'm proud. Well, thank you, Larry Sharp. Uh, tell us again, uh, your podcast, uh, what, 
What type of guests do you have on? What are the subjects of your discussions? And how can people listen? Well, the funny thing is, you know, it's it's a very libertarily, a very libertarian leaning, obviously podcast, but it's not called Liberty Anything. It's called the Sharp Way, and I rarely have libertarians on it. Uh, generally speaking, the only libertarian on the show is me. Um, I tend to put on Democrats, Republicans, uh, um, independents. I've had on other presidential candidates from the ASP, from um, the the Green Party, from the Constitution Party. I have other people on because I want. Exactly what we talked about. I want to have a conversation. I want to show that we can cross the aisle and actually have good conversations. But it's something else. A lot of libertarians listen to my, my podcast. I want them out of the echo chamber. I don't want libertarians to constantly think we only can listen to libertarian podcasts. I want you to, but not only. So I do a lot of that. I also bring on subject matter experts, like the nuclear power experts, um, like voting experts, uh, police experts, things of that sort, to discuss concepts and ideas. Cryptocurrency experts to discuss these things and see how they can actually function to make real change in our country. I still don't understand. If I were to own a Bitcoin or seven or whatever, and all of a sudden, because I know that they're not physical, they're on a computer out there someplace, all of a sudden, if it disappeared, Larry, I still don't know who I could talk to, how I could find it. Uh, I, I, it's just beyond me. But I, I can tell you that I'm old school. And in fact, one of my all-time favorite cartoons is shows a picture of a, of a little boy about a year and a half old in diapers on a cell phone in explosive tears, and he's saying, no, Grandma, you push F8, and I'm afraid that I'm Grandma, so uh, I, I kind of fall into that. But, but Larry, thank you. Thank you for being with us. We are fellow libertarians. We do have discussions, but we, we, we bring in, we, we don't fail to talk about anything. Uh, as you know, you were on them, so was I. They call them in libertarian circles AMAs. What does AMA mm -hmm. stand for? Well, ask me anything. And I don't think Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump are going to submit themselves to AMAs. They do get into their debates. They're involved now, uh, but this, they're almost scripted. They know kind of what the questions will be. They know where the, they know there will not be any follow up either. So we're different and, and we need to keep getting this message out. And the best way I can think of getting the libertarian message out is to tune into the sharp way. Go to LarrySharp.com. Get to know Larry Sharp like I have. There's an E on the end of sharp. But uh, talk about the sharp way. It's very well described. So, Larry, thank you again for being with us. Any final comments as we uh, as we sign off? Yes, the E stands for entertaining. That's what the <laughs> E on the on the sharp stands for. E for no, entertaining. Don't forget that. I'm yes. sorry. I think it stands for enthusiastic, but we may we may Ooh. have to differ on that. I like that one too. I'll take either. Judge, thank you for having me on. I, I'm always happy uh, to be together with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Go get them. And 2022, Larry, uh, I'm on your, I'm on you for that. Uh, and I will support you, as will everyone else listening. So thank you, folks. Thank you for listening. You can call these up again on demand. Uh, Larry Sharp was consistent. He was on with me on January 31 of 2020 and June 26 of 2020, and now on October 23, 2020. Uh, call him up on demand. Go listen to his show. Get involved. He is. He's helping us 
and as are we trying on all rise. Uh, in fact, if we employ these values like we were talking, the audits, the, the openness, we will literally all rise together and unify. So that's, that's our word for the week. Join us again next week when we bring in another exciting, maybe not quite as exciting or enthusiastic uh, or entertaining a man as Larry Sharp, but we're doing our best and we're having fun along the way. So thank you for being with us. I sign off now, as I always do, by saying life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bonds that help us stand strong. Strengthen my bonds that help us stand strong.